Today our text is Psalm 13, a Psalm of David. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. For he has been good to me. Thank you to all for that reading of God's Word. Welcome everyone to our online worship together for today, April 19th, 2020. It's always nice to hear from those of you who are watching from around the world, as well as friends and neighbors and church family who live nearby. We are a group of imperfect people who found hope in Jesus. We love talking about our Savior. As we follow his example and teaching, this has given us a desire to live each day with purpose, to make our world a better place, just as God intended from the very beginning. We'd love for you to contact us if you'd like to know more. This is week five of our Shelter in Place and online assemblies. I don't know about you, but the newness has kind of worn off. I really miss seeing your faces. Once again, I'm standing here looking out at empty pews, but if I close my eyes, I can see your faces. The AFC over there, the youth over there, and down here at the front, Marge and Betty, Joe, Linda, Dean, and Virginia, and Mary Frances back there, the oldest member of our congregation at 104. Mary Frances, if you're watching this, I want you to know that I really miss seeing your face with your constant and encouraging smile. I've done some reminiscing this week, looking back to the way things were six weeks ago. Remember when we all complained about having too much to do on a weekend? Do you remember what it was like to eat out at your favorite restaurant where they'd do the cooking and wash the dishes? Do you remember when we 
said we need to schedule some time to be at home with the kids. We just don't have enough time together. <laughs> you remember that? Do you remember when we would daydream about staying home from work? A time when we could just hang out in our PJs and binge watch Netflix. Do you remember when our children complained about having to go to school? My granddaughter surprised me the other day saying she can't wait to go back to school. At least there she'd be with all of her friends. Do you remember when it was easy to go out and to get a haircut? I'm feeling kind of shaggy right now and I'm assuming I'm not the only one needing some professional grooming help. So here we are. The first few weeks, it was new, interesting, almost like an extended spring break. But to be honest, the reality of our new normal has brought with it a sobering impact. We look back and say, remember when? And we look forward and say, how much longer? And as God's people, we should also ponder this question. What does worship during this time look like? Last week we celebrated the empty tomb and the hope that comes with a resurrected Savior. But for me there was also some spiritual tension. I sang hallelujah, he is risen, knowing that God is in control. But I doubt that I'm alone in admitting that in my heart there were also feelings of pain and loss and suffering. In the story of the early church, we see that even though Jesus conquered death and the tomb was empty and all humanity was given a new perspective of hope, suffering, sacrifice, and loss didn't disappear. We don't have to read many pages into the book of Acts before learning that persecution of Jesus' followers only intensified. And we read how the early believers gathered and prayed fervently for courage but I'm also confident their hearts were broken and many tears were shed for those who endured torture and even martyrdom in the weeks and months that followed. So how do we worship God during a worldwide pandemic that's rocked our world and bombarded our hearts with mixed emotions? How do we worship when hope, peace, and joy are competing in our hearts with pain and loss and confusion? For thousands of years, the worship manual for followers of God has been the book of Psalms. It was their songbook. It was their prayer book. Today, we're going to start a new sermon series where for the next seven weeks, we'll look back at these ancient words of worship that we call Psalms. The Psalms make up a large portion of our Old Testament the book of Psalms contains 150 psalms. Many of us associate psalms with praise and thanksgiving, and that's correct. But it's also interesting to note that over one-third of the psalms, and some scholars even say up to one-half, are what we call psalms of lament. These psalms of lament put into words the pain and suffering worshipers of God feel both then and now. The first three weeks of our series, we're going to look at a few psalms of lament. And then in the following weeks, we'll take a look at other types of psalms 
and moved forward to psalms of thanksgiving and psalms of praise. Now, it may seem a little strange and perhaps even unsettling to spend three weeks looking at psalms of lament, but these are strange and unsettling times. It's important to know right from the very beginning that lament is never meant to be our home. We should never live there. In these psalms of lament, we'll find spiritual tools, even a language to deal with pain, loss, disillusionment, grief, doubt, and even disappointment with God. To be honest, I've never heard a sermon series on lament. Perhaps you've heard sermons on the psalms of lament preached in church, but not me. And I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's because they are considered too negative. We'd rather have everyone at church happy and leave our gatherings encouraged. But I'm thinking that if there was ever a time for us to familiarize ourselves with these psalms of lament, it should be now. If it was important for God's people to have a corporate expression of these feelings of grief and pain, loss and confusion in their worship then, it must also be good for us today to learn how to cry out to God in lament. Historians are saying this could be the first time ever that everyone in our world is sharing the same experience, feeling the same pain, and are united against the same enemy. What we're seeing in places like New York, China, Italy, and Peru is also happening here in our community to one degree or another. People in India, Denmark, Nigeria are under shelter-in-place orders, just as we are. Today, churches I know of in Thailand and Singapore are meeting together online, just like us. As we see what's going on around the world, and in our nation and in our own community, what better time for us to use the worship language of community lament than right now? But I have to admit, I don't come to this decision easily. For one thing, I hate talking about negative subjects. I'd much rather talk about uplifting and positive things. Years ago, when I took the Strength Finder assessment, it revealed that my number one strength was positivity. My natural instinct is to run away from any negativity. My love language is words of affirmation. And when I hear complaining, well, it eats the fabric of my soul. The idea of spending three weeks on lament, especially right after Easter, is not an easy one for me to accept. Yet I've learned that prayers of lament may look like prayers of complaining, but they're actually prayers of faith because this type of prayer refuses to let God go even in the hard times. God may seem absent, but He is not. I'm seeing that prayers of lament bring us face to face with God as we are honest with our feelings and trying to understand what is going on in our heart. Well, we as a church are very blessed to have many licensed counselors in our fellowship. During this series, we hope to hear from them with insight that they've learned from hours upon hours of helping people process the pain in their lives. As Christians, they are in a unique position to see the complex relationship between the physical, emotional, and spiritual worlds. Brian and Susan Duncan are some of our new members. 
They live in Bastrop where they have a counseling practice and both work as therapists. Brian and Susan were speakers at our church marriage retreat in February and are currently teaching a class on Wednesday nights using Zoom called The Emotional God. I've asked them to join me today and to share what they've learned about connecting our spiritual and emotional lives. First off, Brian and Susan, welcome. I want to begin by asking, how's it been having church online the past several weeks and not having to make the drive to College Station on Sundays and Wednesdays? Good morning, church. Thanks for having us this Hi, morning. Hi, Kelly. Hi, church. So, yes, basically our spending money um, while we eat in College Station Sundays and Wednesdays and our fuel bill has gone down tremendously. So mm -hmm. I have to say I've kind of enjoyed um, that pressure taken off. But um, I always pray for calmness in our family. It's one of my things where I just I want calm, maybe because we don't ever feel that way. But I, I pray for calmness kind of weekly and daily. And I'm kind of wondering if I overshot that a little bit with how much calm and peace we're getting right now, which isn't a bad thing. Um, I do know that I've heard Brian say several times that he misses being with the church. He misses being with everybody, serving communion together, being um, just one together physically is actually is pretty nice. And I'm kind of leaning into that now. I'm starting to miss that a great deal. Um, I honestly believe that having to tune in at home and make sure it stays on our daily schedule has grown us closer to the church and grown us closer to the people that we've met. And even for our kids connecting through youth, like we had to really push them in the beginning to go get on the computer, go, okay, you're going to do Zoom. You're going to spend time with everybody. Um, that was kind of hard at first to get them to, to latch on to that. But about this, this week, they actually texted me and said, hey, mom, we're doing you know Bible study on Zoom. We have intersections. So we just need you to please not interrupt us because we're going to be in our rooms doing that. And that was actually quite a blessing. That was a really neat moment for us to, mm -hmm. to feel that connection. Two weeks ago, you began a class on Wednesday nights, The Emotional God. For those who have not been part of this study, give us a brief overview of what the class is about. Well, this has been something that has been on my heart personally and professionally for quite a while. I had the idea of trying to understand emotions on a more relational and spiritual level because, well, I struggle with being emotional myself. And I see how that struggle affects my life and our practice. I, I know what emotions are and, and I use them daily for work, but where can I tap into knowing how to connect them to my relationships? Again, personally and therapeutically. I don't think we have the best role models when it comes to emotions in society. And, and we are taught that being emotional is weak, but then these videos go online go viral when they are full of emotion. So, so which is it? Well. God is emotional, which means the one who made man and woman in his own image is okay with being emotional. In fact, he role models it. Why not use him as my role model for trying to understand how to communicate with others? We see so many of his emotions throughout the Bible, and yet we also don't really know what to do with them. That is what we are trying to do in our class. We want to understand emotions better, use them to connect with God, and understand how Jesus has role modeled the way to use them. Thanks, I'm really enjoying your class and want everyone to know they can find information about how to access this class online by going to our church webpage or by looking in the daily updates. 
Today we're starting a new series on the Psalms and introducing Psalms of Lament. As Christian counselors, could you talk about the importance of communities like church creating an environment where emotions are given space for expression? Well, our practice is not a Christian private practice. It's basically we're Christians and we provide counseling for people. And this has been on purpose from the beginning. We deal with anything and everything and love being in the journey with our clients. It does get heavy spiritually, but most days it's empowering to work for God. This is our mission and we want to bring emotions and God together. This is one reason that church is so important to Brian and me and for our family. For us, the church is where we get our cup filled again and again each week. It's where we fellowship and connect with others who share love for Christ. But church and those we get to fellowship with also prepares us to go back into our mission field, which is what we feel like it is many of the days. Mm -hmm. We need Christ in our hearts to sustain our ability to work with clients. The distance that exists physically cannot stop our ability to connect, and that is what emotions do for us. That is what God does with us, and this is what we crave from each other. Our church might be distant, but our ability to express emotions keeps us connected. In fact, I kind of wonder what I've been experiencing in the last what feels like three to four months, but hasn't been quite that long with this quarantine, that um, our emotions might be the only thing that are not constant for all of us right now. If you think about it, there's no driving, there's no eating, there's no experiences physically with everybody, there's no physical contact, but maybe through video and Zoom and everybody looking at our own faces and looking at each other's faces, we're just focusing on the emotions and the connecting with each other. And maybe that's what's making us feel more connected with one another and possibly God, because it, it does feel really spiritual with God during the sermon when we're all sitting together, just, just listening and focusing. My last question, from a clinical perspective, what can we learn about the importance of lament as seen in the scripture? The thing to understand is that all of these emotions exist. Whether we fully understand them or not, it is important to acknowledge the presence of our feelings. They are a part of us. We are made in God's image. If we have emotions, then he has emotions. If we have sadness, then God experiences sadness too. If God expresses that lament with and towards us, then we must express it as well. And we can express that lament with others and towards God. Well, thank you, Brian and Susan. We're so happy that you're part of our church family and I personally look forward to seeing you online this Wednesday night. Our text today is Psalms 13, which is written by David. Psalms of lament share a number of common elements, but there are three main ones which are all seen in today's passage. Crying out to God, seeing something wrong in the world and asking God for help, and responding in trust and praise. This psalm tells of a time when David, the same David, who at one time had the certainty of faith so strong that as a young boy, he had the courage to go out and fight against the Philistine warrior, Goliath. It's this David who now feels that God has abandoned him. He cries out to God. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? 
At first glance, these are impatient and harsh words, accusing God of abandoning him. Four times David says, how long? One commentator writes, the pain in David's heart came from a sense that God had forgotten him and that God was distancing himself from him. No doubt David had faced worst circumstances, but had faced them more bravely when he had sensed the presence of God with him. Yet now, feeling distant from God, it did not take much to send David into despair. It's likely we can all recall a time when we prayed, asking God to intervene, to act. And there was silence, nothing. It's like we've all cried, how long, O Lord, how long? In a prayer of lament, this is not an act of unbelief, but rather words from a heart that's reaching out to God in belief. G. Campbell Morgan, a commentator from the past century, says this is a lesson of profound value. If the heart be overburdened and Jehovah seems to hide his face, let the story of woe be told to him. It is a holy exercise. Men may not understand it. They may even charge us with failing faith when, as a matter of fact, while all other anchorage crumbles in the storm, faith fastens itself more surely on the rock. In verses 3 and 4, we see David asking God for help. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. David points out what is not right in the world and calls on God to intervene. In verse 4, David's focus is on his enemy, not wanting them to prevail, to gloat, or to rejoice at his downfall. But I especially love what David says here in verse 3. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. He's not talking about his physical eyes. He's calling on God to give light to the eyes of his heart. In this lament, David realizes the importance of having his spiritual focus be more on God and less on his circumstances or his enemy. He realizes that if God doesn't bless him with a heavenly perspective, he'll end up spiritually dead. The Apostle Paul knew the importance of having this kind of God-given vision. He writes in one of my favorite prayers found in Scripture, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is David's plea for God to change his perspective, to give light to his eyes. Then in the last two verses of Psalm 13, we see David's heart respond in trust and praise to God. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Here we see David express the eventual outcome of his lament. As he falls back on his trust and faith, he's given a new perspective which allows him to see a different future. But 
Or in other words, even though or no matter what life looks like now, I will trust in your unfailing love. And he concludes, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. In these six verses, we see a picture of the basic progression of a psalm of lament. It's more like a spiritual journey that begins with pain, despair, and confusion and ends with trust and praise. I love this observation about lament. Lament turns toward God when sorrow tempts you to run from Him. As Christians, we interpret the world through the lens of God's timeless plan that includes creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Lament is different than mere crying or complaining because lament is a form of prayer. It is not just a reaction from sorrow or merely the venting of deep emotional wounds. Lament is pointing out the brokenness in our world. It's a recognition that things are not as they should be and taking our pain to God. The end goal is a deeper trust in God. We know the root cause of all lament. It's sin. In Revelation, we're told about the ending of all laments. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Songwriter and biblical scholar Michael Card makes this observation. It seems to me that we do not need to be taught how to lament since we have so many models in the scripture. What we need is simply the assurance that it's okay to lament. We all carry deep within ourselves a pressurized reservoir of tears. It takes only the right key at the right time to unlock them. In God's perfect time, these tears can be released to form a healing flood. That's the beauty and the mystery of the prayer of lament. This church is how we are called to live in these difficult times. We see our broken world and we lament as individuals and as community. We call out to God. We translate our feelings into words and we name our suffering. We say, God, this is not right. This is not how you created our world. You are our source of hope. And to you, we look for healing. Deliver us, O oh God. How long? How long? I remember seeing a book title years ago that has stuck in my mind. I have to confess I've never read the book, but for some reason the title has stayed with me. Don't waste your sorrows. And the byline is finding God's purpose in the midst of pain. As individuals, as families, as a church community, let's not waste this time of worldwide suffering. May we learn to lament and may our lament give us a new vision and a clear purpose for living. And may we emerge from this crisis with a greater trust in God. Be blessed this week, and we hope you'll join us again next Sunday. Because I know He holds the future and life is worth See